Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Does bloating get you down? You may not know this, but your eating disorder or disordered eating could be causing you gut issues and adrenal issues you didn't even know about. The What's Eating You podcast is a series of mental health topics that are designed to make you think, learn, educate, and validate. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of the What Is Eating You podcast. I have been waiting all my life for this episode, and we have our amazing guest returning for a part three. It is Dr. Georgie Stoichev, and today we're going to talk about eating disorders. So, doctor, can you please do a little introduction and welcome to the show? Hi there. Uh, Thanks for having me back. Um, Yeah, so, uh, you know, I see eating disorders uh, fairly frequently in my patient population. Um, So, it's just, it just seems to be part of the conditions that people suffer from, especially when their comorbidities, like ADHD, depression, anxiety. So it's just part of what I see on an almost regular basis. Um, And, you know, my specialty, based on the previous episodes, you already know is ADHD. So I always uh, screen for that in all of my patients. Um, And just because I want to do my due diligence, and um, we need a very good multidisciplinary approach when it comes to eating disorders. Um, so it's very important to do that. Yes. And I love that you said that it needs to be screened. It needs a multidisciplinary approach because it does. And if you haven't heard the other two parts, make sure you go and listen. So if you didn't know, our doctor here is a naturopathic doctor and his specialty is helping people with their ment- mental health in a naturopathic way. Now, the reason I really wanted to do this episode was to be a little bit selfish and ask some questions I have because I went through a massive eating disorder and I'm very grateful I didn't go through any major complications. You know, I've had people who've had to have their teeth replaced or they've had super bad reflux or stomach ulcers and all those physical 
problem. So perhaps can you tell me when someone comes to you and they have an eating disorder, what are some of the problems you see? Great question. So that would in part depend on the eating disorder. So as we know, the three most well-known eating disorders are binge eating disorder, bulimia nervosa, and anorexia nervosa. So the problems can vary based on that. Um, Some of the problems that I see frequently are issues relating to gut health, for example. Um, So because of, you know, the cycle of maybe binge eating, restricting, uh, purging, so that can really affect multiple body systems. Gut, the gut is probably a big one, I would say. Um, you know, just massive intake of food, for example, can cause changes in the digestive tract. It can cause changes in the gut flora. Um, so it can definitely affect uh, the gut in that way. Um, I also see changes with Uh, you know, hormone imbalances, for example, cortisol levels, which is our stress hormone. Um, So, you know, uh, having variable intake food and calories in the form of binging or purging or restricting um, can cause all these uh, blood sugar imbalances, which can then trigger cortisol imbalances and issues. So it can definitely lead to downstream effects in my experience. I'm really glad you mentioned the gut because I feel mm-hmm. we were in a gut era the last few years. Everyone was about gut health and yeah. candida and I don't yeah. know if that's all related, but mm-hmm. what are some symptoms that perhaps you have a gut issue when you've had an eating disorder or disordered eating and are the symptoms same, the same for someone who doesn't have an eating disorder and has a gut issue? Is a gut issue a gut issue or do you see specific gut symptoms in EDs? Great question. Um, I would say probably one of the most pronounced symptoms that I do see would be bloating or abdominal distension. Um, And whether that is trapped gas, so like just bloating that stays there, or maybe like frequent belching um, or flatulence, it can be either or. Um, So that's probably one of the biggest ones that I see. And you know, the issue with bloating is that unfortunately it can be like a catch-22 situation where like you feel bloated and then that triggers you know your eating disorder in a way and then obviously the eating disorder in itself can cause bloating because of the you know dysfunctional eating habits and things like that so it's like a two-way street almost uh, because you know when you feel bloated after a certain food then you start associating bad connotations with that food. So it can really trigger this downstream effect of negative views on food. Yes. I know what you were saying because when I would get bloated, I would equate bloating to being fat. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you might as well just binge because you're already bloated, make the most of the bloat. And bloating, it's not being fat and it's not, and I love the word you use, distended stomach. I think, was that the Mm -hmm. one? Yeah. Yeah, because it's extreme. Like there were times I would look nine months pregnant and I'm not Mm -hmm. kidding. It wasn't just like, oh, I'm a little bit bloated. It was painful. It was awful. And speaking of of gas and gaslighting, you can almost gaslight yourself to think, oh, it's just because I'm eating too much. It's just because of my binging and not get proper help. And I did this for years. I just thought, no, I'm bloated because it's my fault. I'm binging. Mm -hmm. I'm disgusting. 
so is bloating normal? Is there, how do you know if bloating is just a, a part of life and you get bloated and when it's an actual gut issue? Great question. Yeah. So, you know, it's normal to feel a little bit of bloating occasionally. So sometimes if you have a bigger amount of food that tends to trigger bloating more, like for example, say beans, they can be a little harder to digest for people sometimes. Um, Or things that are really high in fiber. And if you have a very high amount, your gut bacteria are not going to be used to it, you know, and having that occasional bloating doesn't really signal any issue it when bloating really becomes an issue is when it occurs daily um when it causes you to feel you know unhappy or when it causes you discomfort so for example if you feel really significant bloating that causes physical discomfort um, and emotional discomfort then obviously bloating is an issue Um, And it's important to address because uh, it can in itself be physically uncomfortable. It can also be very mentally uncomfortable. You know, people feel very depressed about it. People feel anxious about it. They feel anxious going in social situations with bloating. So um, it can cause a variety of physical and emotional issues. And thank you for validating that because I would describe it as debilitating at times you don't want to go out, your clothes don't fit and it's it's really self-deprecating. So I'm glad you highlighted the emotional part of it because you can wear, you know, loose clothes and all of that, but it's the mental toll. And, and one thing that really helped get me out of my eating disorder was telling myself purging is making you bloated mm-hmm. because and you can clarify this. When you're purging, when you're bringing up food or you're self-induced vomiting, you're disrupting your your stomach and your acids and your juices and does purging cause bloating it it very well might um so both purging and binging can cause bloating um and also restriction can cause bloating they can do the that in various ways and there are various mechanisms in which they do that they might uh, slow the transit time of your digestive tract they might speed it up so it really depends on you know the individual's physiology uh what can also happen with continuous cycles of binging purging and or restricting is you can affect your gut flora and as we know we have so so many gut bacteria in our digestive system and there's so much more you know, research being done on it. But when there is an imbalance in the gut flora, that's what tends to cause the bloating. So, you know, what happens is the bacteria start to eat on the particular, you know, they sort of feed on the particular foods that you're ingesting, and they produce gases as a byproduct. And that's what really tends to cause the bloating. Um, So I would say that's probably one of the biggest reasons, underlying reasons why the bloating occurs there tends to be what's called dysbiosis. The gut flora. And I think you said something so key just then, restriction can cause bloating. So this is not just a a larger gal or a, a binge eating issue. And what this reminds me of is I used to try to eat so clean, right? And I'm sure many mm-hmm. people listening to this, they've gone through some restriction and everyone's like, eat your fiber. It helps keep you fuller for longer. But if you are eating so much broccoli, if you're 
basically having so much fiber, so much, so much clean eating, that also can make you bloated too. It certainly can, especially if you have too much in one go. Um, so it, what matters is balance, you know, and that we're kind to ourselves and that we're gentle with ourselves. Uh, focusing too much on, you know, healthy eating and getting uh, sort of obsessive with it can be really harmful as well. Um, just because we become very regimented, we become very perfectionistic and very self-critical. And, you know, that in itself can really cause a lot of issues. So, um, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And just to clarify earlier, binge eating disorder is when people consume a large amount of food in a short period of time. There's no compensation, whereas bulimia nervosa they are compensating by purging, laxative use, et cetera, and laxatives as well. They can wreak havoc on your um, internal functioning. Just going back to the gut, the gut flora, is there anything we can do to start to fix this? Like we can obviously seek a, a naturopath or um, tell us where do we start because I feel I put this journey off. I'm in contact with a clinical naturopath now. But I've put this off for so long because I just thought it was a me problem. But where should people start? Because it can be overwhelming to know where to start. It really can be. Um, and, you know, part of it, I always say, you know, I obviously specialize in mental health. So that's my area of uh, passion. And part of it is really focusing on mental health, really. Um, so obviously healing your relationship with food is going to be very important um, just because, the continuous cycles of, you know, binging, purging and restriction can cause that. Um, and actually a little interesting add on what I found in the research uh, recently was that um, there was a lower diversity in the gut microbiome in people who have eating disorders. And unfortunately, that was correlated with higher severity of eating disorder symptoms, as well as anxiety and depression. So that's sort of showcases the relationship of the gut microbiome and how it plays into uh, eating disorders. Wait, what does that mean? What does, in layman's terms, what does that mean? Sure. Uh, so that basically means, so usually with our gut microbiome, the more diverse it is, so the more different species we have, the better things are. And if there's lower diversity, things tend to just feel worse overall. And the research has found that with eating disorders, there's a lower diversity. So it's just fewer species, perhaps, you know, so it's not as flourishing. Um, and because there are fewer species, they found that that led to more significant and more serious symptoms, whether that's depression, anxiety, or eating disorder symptoms. Yeah. So, wow. yeah, it just shows that it plays so many roles, not just digestively. Yeah. So the, that's incredible. The first step is heal your relationship with food. And then I guess from a naturopathic standpoint, is there any sort of supplements or steps someone can take to start to heal their gut or go on a gut journey? Yeah. Well, I would say, uh, you know, with with gut health, it's very individualistic. So the first step would be to figure out exactly what's going on. And part of that, uh, part of that journey can be 
getting some diagnostic testing. So usually what I do when someone comes to me with chronic, almost daily bloating is I look into what's called small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. It stands for SIBO. Um, and that what that basically means is bacteria from your large intestine, which is a little bit lower in your digestive tract, go higher into your small intestine. And they're not supposed to be there. Um, mm -hmm. And that can cause a lot of bloating, a lot of discomfort, and it can cause things like acid reflux or loose stools or constipation. It can go either way. Um, so it's very important to establish if that's what you have because that changes you know, the treatment plan, the protocol, um, and makes it more individualized, makes it more likely to work. So I would say that's probably the first step, getting a good diagnostic interview and figuring out what's wrong. Mm. Um, and then afterwards, that can direct the treatment plan um, as a whole. And what's a sample treatment plan? What might that look like for someone? Sure. Yeah. So uh, there are some herbs that, you know, can purely symptomatically help with bloating. Uh, so things like fennel, for example, fennel can be great. Uh, the, the term that we use is carminative, which basically means uh, it reduces spasms and it reduces gas production um, in the intestines. So fennel is a great herb for that. Um, we can also use things like peppermint. It's really one of the most uh, well-studied herbs for bloating and for digestive discomfort, for abdominal cramping. Uh, we can use ginger. You know, ideally we can add it to food or just have ginger tea or something like that. So uh, that can be also very calming. Uh, so botanical medicine herbs can be very powerful when it comes to that. Mm. Um so that's just one avenue that we can take. I love that. And we actually yeah. have this fennel, fennel tea in, in Greek, mm -hmm. in Greek, um, in our Greek culture. And fennel is really good. It's really mm -hmm. awesome for, um, yeah, stomach and at night and peppermint's great for sleep. So peppermint, fennel, ginger. And it's these, these are safe for anyone to have? Uh, sure. I mean, always consult with your doctor, um, especially if you take them in supplement form, just because, you know, it's higher mm. doses and, you know, it can interact with some medications, but usually in tea form, you know, or as part of uh, food, for example, like if you add ginger to your food or uh, if you have it in tea form, generally it's okay. Um, you know, ginger can sometimes thin out the blood if you have too high of an amount. So obviously if you're taking things like blood thinning medication it can interact with that um which is why it's always important to work with someone who's familiar with drug nutrient interactions um but other than that in tea form and in food form they tend to be pretty safe okay that's good remember yeah. this is not this is not medical advice for anyone yes. listening always consult with your individual health professional i'm not sure if you know about this but i read somewhere that people with eating disorders may have lower levels of serotonin. Have you heard this? And it's okay if you haven't, because I have another question on it. 
Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there seems to be some neurotransmitter imbalance, dysfunction, whether it's serotonin or dopamine, you know, it's still sort of like up in the air. There's so much, we constantly keep learning more and more. Um, so yeah, uh, but you know, there might be some neurotransmitter imbalance, um, but you know, when you think about the fact that uh, antidepressants don't always work, you know, especially for eating disorders, it's it's still I it I just think it's a lot more complex than um, we make it out to be. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And you know what it is? Everyone wants to fit a template. And I think when I see something like that, I'm like, oh, that's why I always want ice cream because I had lower serotonin. So, But then on the other hand, I'm like, no, the reason you get so excited when you eat dessert, because I I read this study and apparently when people who've had an eating disorder history eat dessert or if they've got an eating disorder, their eyes light up. It's like this euphoric experience. And I can relate to this. And my family, my friends, they can attest when I'm eating like Nutella or having something sweet, maybe not so much now, it was like I went into this state of euphoria and excitement and just, and I'm like, is that because of serotonin or is it because I deprived myself so long now that I have it without guilt? It's woo, all all fun. So I wasn't sure, but I've also heard that 90% of serotonin is made in the gut. Is that true? And what does that mean? That is correct. Um, So, you know, a huge, huge part of the serotonin is made in the gut. And what that means is that gut health and mental health are inextricably linked. Um, So it's really hard to have optimal mental health without optimal gut health and vice versa which is why I always love focusing on both. Um, and a beautiful, beautiful example of this is irritable bowel syndrome, also known as IBS, probably one of the most common conditions in the world, um, where it has such a strong gut-brain connection that not focusing on one or the other would be a disservice to anyone. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it was uh, anywhere from, I think around 40% or close to 50% of people with irritable bowel syndrome also have um, anxiety and depression. So it just goes to show that the gut-brain mm-hmm. connection is really strong. It is so strong. And we probably should actually say, what is serotonin? Can you tell us a little bit about it? Sure. So serotonin is a neurotransmitter and neurotransmitters are brain chemicals. Uh, Serotonin has been known as the happy neurotransmitter. So it's the one that helps us with mood elevation and it's overall like a positive neurotransmitter. Of course, this is a very simplified um, view of brain chemistry and how everything interacts together. But we just know it as the happy chemical, basically. Um, mm. A lot of antidepressants, conventional antidepressants, work by boosting serotonin. Of course, that's probably not their only mechanism of action. Uh, but what we know is serotonin can nurture connections in our brain and make it more, um, make those connections more plastic like more and more neuro, neuroplasticity is the term. So it makes them more mm. flexible. And um, yeah, so it, 
it can help yes brains flourish there was this cafe in melbourne i used to be obsessed with called Mm -hmm. serotonin it was all about feeling good and happy and healthy what's the difference between serotonin and dopamine because i feel we've been in our dopamine era and everyone's like dopamine chasing and dopamine adhd and dopamine what's the main difference yeah so serotonin would be the one that tends to be more associated with conditions like uh depression, anxiety, so happiness more so. And then dopamine tends to be the one that is more associated with ADHD. So, you know, it it helps with our reward system. So I think that's why there might be some dopamine dysfunction in eating disorders as well. You know, the uh, dysfunctional reward system around food and all all of that stuff. So um, Mm. they have some differences in their functions, but some of their functions also overlap. And I don't think one would be able to function well without the other. So that's why we would ideally support all of them versus just one. Oh, thank you so much for clarifying yeah. that. And yes, the impulsivity is, is more dopamine related. So that makes a lot of sense. All right. We've mm-hmm. spoken about gut health. I want to talk about adrenal health because I feel maybe five or more years ago, we were in the adrenal times and everyone thought they had adrenal fatigue and it wasn't a real thing and doctors didn't know what it was. And can you just talk a little bit about adrenal fatigue? Because at one point I was convinced I had symptoms of it. I was mm-hmm. chronically tired. I had abused pre-workout caffeine, exercise, cardio, and I just felt cooked. Um, so yeah, tell us a little bit about adrenal fatigue. Is it real and what does it look like? This is a great question. So um, we, it's, I think the first step would be to distinguish between True adrenal, uh, true adrenal fatigue and function, you know, functional adrenal dysfunction. So adrenal fatigue in the conventional world and the conventional community is very bad and very serious, very, very debilitating. It's usually diagnosed through a blood test, which is testing your cortisol levels. And when it's low, um, then obviously you'd be feeling all the symptoms you're describing, but um, it's very much it's very severe you would know um and that is different to adrenal dysfunction uh in sort of the functional medicine world that won't really show on a blood test because in order to reach the stage of a blood test you would need to be really really sick um with adrenal dysfunction the way it shows is usually on a saliva test or on a urine test so that urine and saliva tests show more uh, gentle or like more less severe decreases in cortisol, for example, that's our stress hormone. Um, and that's what adrenal fatigue is typified with. It's just lower levels of cortisol, which is our stress hormone. And, you know, we need cortisol to stay alert. So if you have low cortisol, you are going to be feeling fatigued almost the entire day. Um, you might have sugar cravings, you might have salt cravings, you might feel um, angry or anxious between meals, which signals blood sugar dysregulation, but cortisol is a big player in blood sugar regulation, so that makes sense. Uh, You might also be struggling with anxiety at nighttime, you might be struggling with insomnia, and you might be struggling with anxiety in the morning. So 
those are sort of all the telltale signs of adrenal dysfunction um, from the functional medicine world. Right. So what you're saying is if someone has the far end of the spectrum, full adrenal diagnosed fatigue, that's very serious, very debilitating. However, to get to that point of testing, you'd have to be really unwell, whereas people can have adrenal dysfunction or damage without mm-hmm. having that full diagnosis. And that was the symptoms you just described. Exactly. Uh, the first example that you gave is like the medical diagnosis. It's most commonly called adrenal insufficiency. Addison's disease is what it's called. It's very rare. Uh, so that's why there's this belief in the medical community that adrenal dysfunction doesn't exist. Um, but, you know, the more nuanced adrenal dysfunction is what most people feel when they're chronically stressed, chronically depleted for one reason or another. Um, mm. And it can be very debilitating. Mm. What are your adrenals? I heard they're these little glands. Like I just picture these mini lungs in my head. I don't know why. Yes. But like, what actually are they? Where are they? Are they the flight or sure. flight system? They are so tiny and they're situated on top of our kidneys. Um, so they are very tiny, but their function is very profound. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, you know, part of their function is to produce cortisol, which is our stress hormone. Um, and that's why they're very important. You know, we deal with stress daily, whether that's physical stress or emotional stress. So they're constantly working. Mm-hmm. And if we don't give them the necessary rest, uh, they can get depleted, just like any other organ in the body. So, um, yeah, and then then we start feeling it with all the symptoms that I mentioned previously. So mm. those are just some clues to for any functional medicine doctor to look into adrenal dysfunction. Yes, and I like that you didn't demonize cortisol because I feel cortisol gets such a bad rap. Like, is your cortisol too high? And, you know, it can make you put on weight and all of this, but you're saying mm. we need some cortisol. It keeps us alert. And if you don't have enough, that's problematic. Exactly. If you don't have enough, that's problematic. If you have spikes at the wrong time, that can also be an issue. Um, Or if you have lows at the wrong time, it can also be an issue. So for example, what most people with adrenal dysfunction suffer from is this inverted um, curve where like um, cortisol levels are really low in the morning. So Mm -hmm. there's barely any energy in the morning, but then they spike at nighttime, which causes the insomnia and then the anxiety and the lack of sleep. So the cycle gets sort of um, 180 degrees. Turn. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Cause I went and saw a kinesiologist um, earlier this mm-hmm. year and part of our journey was working on my adrenals and he would, there was a point where sounds it really irritated me you know even if my partner was eating I'm like quiet banging with your spoon please or load the dishwasher in silent mode and sounds really got me and and bright lights and he would reset my adrenals and he would like clap and make noise and then do this weird thing with my head to sort of reset my my nervous system is a symptom of adrenals being really sensitive to light or sound or just feeling like anything can kind of set you off? Yes, um, I definitely see that quite frequently. It's usually a combination of any of the three, sensitivity to light, noise, um, 
and uh, which was the third one? So light, noise, noise and smells. So no. um, it can be, yeah, it can be either one of the three or all three combined. Um, so that's, no. uh, and it, yes, and they can cause like very significant issues like headaches, irritability, anxiety. Um, and yeah, so that's what I usually see with adrenal dysfunction and um, oftentimes with anxiety when it's paired mm. with adrenal dysfunction. Yeah. Wow. And one of the things that I think is really hard in eating disorder world to do is to pull back on certain things, right? Because obviously eating disorders are driven by this fear of gaining weight. So they may excessively exercise, they may restrict, and obviously different eating disorders are different. What really was healing for me for my tiredness, I used to call it excessive tiredness, I was always tired, was Mm -hmm. stopping the high-intensity cardio, stopping the pre-workout, going on breaks with caffeine, not saying that improved my quality of life, but it did help my exhaustion. Is the answer to, quote-unquote, heal your adrenals, I'm not sure if that's the right terminology, to pull back on things that stress us out or cause cortisol? Yes. So usually with adrenal, very bad adrenal dysfunction, like we mentioned, there's chronically low cortisol levels. And if you think about it, exercising very hard in itself is a stress to the body. So what it's doing is it's causing this like release of cortisol. And when the adrenals are struggling already to do that, it's, it just makes the situation even worse. So what you, what people usually experience uh, when, when there's really bad adrenal dysfunction and then exercising hard, it's like a crash afterwards. Mm. Like you just feel like you have to sleep or you're absolutely exhausted. What's normal to feel after exercise is energized. If you don't feel energized after exercising, then there's probably some degree of adrenal dysfunction going on and you need to step back, take it easy, focus on sleep health, you know, remove all the triggers and all the stressors that are really depleting your body and that are taxing your adrenals and depleting your cortisol. I love that advice because I remember I would Saturday after an F45 class, it was 10 a.m. and I'm like, I'm ready for bed. Like I am, fl- I felt I was flogging a dead horse and yeah. I stopped. I'm like, it's too much. So if you're listening to this and you think you've got to exercise and run a marathon and, and do all this, less is really more. And I know it's hard. I know mentally it's hard to step back, but you can still go for walks. You can still do stretching, but just be open to giving something else a go. Because it really could Absolutely. be life changing. All right. Yeah. Be kind to your mind. Be kind to your mind. I I love that. Is there anything naturopathically we can do for our adrenals? I mean, I've heard of ashwagandha. I think it was pretty big last year. Um, what else? Just other sort of adrenal supports. You know, I know mushrooms. What's the adrenal health thing? And are there trends we should be aware of that aren't necessarily helpful? Yeah, so there are these uh, herbs in the naturopathic world that are called adaptogens. And the reason why they're called that is because they help us cope with stress better. And there are different types of adaptogens, and ashwagandha is probably one of the most well-known ones. Um, And the reason why, for example, ashwagandha is good 
is because it helps to balance your cortisol levels. So it doesn't really push them too high or, you know, bring them too low. It, it for some reason helps to work with your body to balance them out. And it's in particular very good for people who are wired and tired. So if you are exhausted, but still suffer from really bad anxiety spells, nonetheless, um, ashwagandha is a great example of what you could do to support that. Um, there's another one that is really good for adrenal dysfunction. It's called rhodiola, um, less well known, uh, rhodiola. Rhodiola. Um, Yes. Yes. I remember that one. Yeah. Yeah, um, so that one, a little bit less known than ashwagandha. Um, something to be mindful of when using rhodiola is that it's very stimulating. So it might be most appropriate for the, you know, the really, really fatigued person. Um, if someone has anxiety, it might make it worse. So that's why you have to always match the treatment to the person. Sometimes we have to be very individualized because otherwise it can do more harm than good. Mm, thank you for clarifying that. Adaptogens for the adrenals, so A and A. I like that. That's mm-hmm. easy to remember. And obviously seek uh, professional uh, help, but it's so good to know that these are out there. Are all these supplements created equal? Because I know when I'm shopping for for my supplements, my friend who's a naturopath is like, no, don't get this or don't get it from the chemist. You got to get this clinical grade. And there's a lot of ashwagandha floating around. How do we know it's legit? Is there anything we should be looking for on the ingredients or anything like that? That's a great question. Um, I can mostly speak to the US market just because obviously I practice here. Um, but sometimes getting supplements from Untrusted sources can be problematic just because the regulation on supplements is less strict, obviously, compared Mm -hmm. to medications. So I've seen sometimes people buy things off Amazon and then they feel discouraged because it doesn't work. Uh, Well, sometimes they can say they contain something, but the amounts are not exact and you're not getting what you're spending money for. So it can be really problematic um, in the U.S., we have some few very trusted brands that, you know, are third-party quality controlled and, you know, you you genuinely get what you're buying. So it's very mm. important to work with a healthcare professional who is familiar with those brands um, and who is familiar with what works and what doesn't because otherwise you might be spending money and not necessarily getting any benefit from it yeah absolutely always always check that i have absolutely loved speaking about eating disorders i do have one general question from a viewer and they just wanted to know with the winter months it's obviously you can feel more tired it's harder to get out of bed is there anything you can recommend uh naturopathically for for tiredness or energy in the colder months Yeah, that's a great question. So I think the first step would be to actually assess if there is what's called seasonal affective disorder. Um, That's, you know, the proper term is, you know, depression with a seasonal pattern, but the actual terminology doesn't matter too much. Because if that's the case, then obviously treatment needs to be more 
escalated. Um, mm-hmm. But what we normally can do is I would check for vitamin D levels. It's something that a lot of us are deficient in, even if we live in sunny places and sunny countries. Mm-hmm. So getting adequate vitamin D can be absolutely crucial. Uh, and supplements is where that would come from, especially if you're living in a country where the winters are gray and there's not enough sun. Um, and yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. So it's, that's probably a very important thing to do. Um, something else that works really well in particular for seasonal affective disorder is um, the special seasonal affective disorder uh, lamps. Um, so those can work very, very well. Um, usually, in my experience, you need to make sure um, there are at least 10,000 lux. So, you know, they have to be adequate strength to work well. Um, and you just generally do them every morning when you wake up. Um, and that seems to help a lot with energy, yeah. fatigue, low mood. I've heard a lot about those lamps. Maybe you should do a TikTok on it and put a link there and we can all see what this lamp's about. Yeah. Yeah. No, Um, they work so great. Amazing. Before we wrap up, is there anything else you think people should know whether they're actively going through an eating disorder or disordered eating um, that's maybe important? The first thing I'm going to say is it's, it's rough because our minds can be our worst enemies sometimes. Um, and reaching out for help is probably the most difficult step in the journey. Mm. Um, and healing takes time. And in this case, healing also requires a team of healthcare professionals, whether that's a clinical psychologist, a dietitian, you know, a medical team as well. You know, working together is always much better when it comes to eating disorders versus working with just one one healthcare professional. So um, have as many people as you can on board so that you can feel supported in your journey. Um, There is hope uh, that eating disorders can go into remission and um, there is light at the end of the tunnel. Yes, I love that you said that. A team approach is super important and there is light because I know I've found it and through, you know, talking to people like you, it's just amazing to hear the work that you do and provide. So doctor, where can people find you if they want to learn more about what you have to say? Um, so people can find me on social media. So my TikTok and Instagram are at dr.storchev. Uh, you can also find me on my website, which is www.drgeorgiestarchev.com. I would love to anyone to get in touch with me. Amazing, for sure. And do you offer online appointments for people in Australia? Uh, we would still be able to see each other um, if someone was in Australia. Uh, obviously, we would be a little limited when it comes to supplements just because they can't really ship outside of the U.S., so we would need to get creative. Yes, <laughs> there's always a way. <laughs> Absolutely love that. I have enjoyed speaking to you so much. Thank you for all your knowledge and your wisdom. Everyone, go te- go check him out. His content's amazing. And if you want to hear any other episodes, make sure you let us know. But That's all for today. Thank you so much and have the best day. Thank you, Steph.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.